Happy Sabbath, everyone. I think I'm on. It's okay. Okay. To be here is like the very first time all over again. So forgive my nervousness. I know that I am not up for vote like it was then. <laughs> but I think I'm nervous because I don't do this every week anymore. You get out of practice. But it's partly due to being in the presence of God. There's nothing like it. We come before him humbly. It is so good to be here and to be able to renew memories, but more importantly, to praise God with you and celebrate his marvelous blessings. Fifty years of believing and belonging and behaving. That's not there in the title. But that's important, to be faithful, to be steadfast, and to serve our God. Fifty years, I say, praise God. I thank you for inviting us to this special time. For 11 of those 50 years, Helen and I were blessed, 11, 12, I think, somewhere in there. Helen and I were blessed to be part of the Dungness Grove family. Together we ministered for the faith of the gospel. We confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior and Savior of the world. God was gathering his people and Jesus was building his church. The early Adventists here in this church, in this community, had a clear vision. It was God's vision for his people. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Their vision was the vision that Jesus had for the world he came to save. I will build my church. Twelve words, five words, combine them together. We recognize that it was a clear vision that they had. The church was more than a building and a dwelling place of God. It was the body of Christ, Christ as head, and all believers as members of his body. Twelve words or five words, it was all the early believers needed. From time to time, we have vision and exercises. And you gather the church and the pastor and the elders and you gather the church and you try to write a vision statement or mission statement. And after you start going around playing with words, someone says, why not check the Bible? When all else fails, check the Bible. Their vision and mission came directly from Scripture. It was very impressive, very simple, but very straightforward. I will build my church. 
Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Today we stand on the shoulders of those early believers. We are grateful for their faithfulness. When I came to this church, I was not the first pastor. The pulpit was used before. The Bible stories were shared. The hymns were sung. The same scriptures were read. Great sacrifices were made. Church work is always costly. It eats up the budget and sometimes everything else, including commitment. It wearies our physical muscles. And as I look up to the ceiling, you'll see those pipes, those sprinkler pipes. We were getting ready to do the addition, and the village said we have to sprinkle the sanctuary. And we thought, how in the world are we going to do this? These pipes would just stand out. They would be so ugly. And then one Sunday, the faithful men of this church, and ladies too, we gathered outside, we spread those pipes out, and we painted them as close to the wood. And you notice? Beautiful match. We all were united in hard work. And as I think of that this morning, I still feel a little tired from that work. (laughs) Well, that's not why I retired, by the way. (laughs) Working side by side, doing real hard work for the church, that was something beautiful. Something beautiful. Sometimes the muscles get frozen. And I looked across, and there's the baptistry, and I can remember when the heater was disconnected and I was supposed to do a baptism. And I went inside, and I shivered. And I can still feel that cold. Church work. Church work. Weighs heavily on our spiritual health, too. We ask how much longer... Are we going to preach? How much longer are we going to listen to all these sermons and wait? We have had evangelistic meetings. We have given Bible studies. How much longer are we going to wait? There's not much interest in the Sabbath, in the second coming. How much longer are we going to carry on? Do I have to teach Sabbath school again this year? Why so much suffering these days? That's that's a heavy question. We would rather be absent from this body and be present with the Lord, don't we? Our spiritual health is affected Sometimes we wonder, how can the church get anything done with so many opinions, so many experts? Have you been to a board meeting? (laughs) But the next time you look in, you're amazed that the church 
has accomplished so much. It's a miracle indeed. It's a miracle. It's God's church. He keeps it going. I realize some of you may be beat up and worn out. You've been here maybe all those 50 years. It's hard to celebrate today because where the church is, there is always a real battle going on. Not just over worship styles, but concerning our very souls. It's a gospel battle. It's a heaven and hell kind of battle. Remember Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell. The stronghold of Satan. Principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this world. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Men and women who have joined the devil and his angels. Even the powers of death will try. But will not prevail against God's church. This church My brothers and sisters and friends, this church is in good hands. God's hands. So stay with it. Stay with it. Sometimes our greatest enemy comes from within the church. Sad to say, sometimes pastors, elders, church members join ranks with the stronghold of Satan and the forces of hell. I just came back from Queens, New York, and the church where I attended that Sabbath. Someone told me, when we have in Wednesday evening prayer meeting, we have it in the pastor's study because we need to lock the door. Because there is a member who disrupts everything. I asked, what does he do? He said, he asked all kinds of silly questions. His focus is on the church manual, on diet issues, lifestyle issues. He would not get off these issues. Sometimes we are part of the problem. Notice Matthew 16, shortly after his declaration, I will build my church, Jesus said, I am going to Jerusalem and I must suffer and die. And Peter reprimanded Jesus. Remember that? Jesus, you do not know what you're talking about. Does that sound familiar? I have heard so many people, not knowingly, Basically saying those kind of words. No wonder Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Was that Peter? Absolutely. That was Peter. Well-meaning Peter. Like well-meaning church folks can be instruments of Satan and become hindrances to the work of the Lord. In defense of Peter, however, 
I like to say perhaps Peter was thinking that if Jesus were to die, how could he build his church? But the death of Jesus meant life for the church. Life through death, it's hard to understand. And still it is hard to understand because the death of Jesus signals the death of every believer in the church. Not just our eternal death for the wages of sin. He has died for that. That was the cross. The cross was the penalty for our eternal death. But Jesus not only died that death, but also death to self. Death to self, but alive in Jesus now. The church is alive because of the death of Jesus. But the church must, must give its life for the world. For whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever gives his life will save it. In order to live as the body of Christ, the church must give its life. Jesus gave his life for his church. His church must give its life for the world, for the people of this community, and for the world around us. The church must give its life. Fred Craddock, professor of preaching, said, Kingdom courtesy is that we speak when we are spoken to. And we have been spoken to. All these wonderful gospel truths we have been spoken to. So we speak because we have been spoken to. We speak on behalf of those who are afraid, for all who are deeply angry, for all who have been made to feel ashamed. We speak on behalf of all who are fearful of the night and all who dread the break of day. We speak on behalf of those who care deeply and those who do not care at all. We speak on behalf of those who live in undeserved poverty and those who live in undeserved wealth. Those who feel powerless and those who hold the power, we speak on behalf of everyone. We speak on behalf of ourselves. May God touch our lips with the life call from the altar, that we may speak the truth in love. That's our mission. That is the church in action. Many and wonderful are the promises recorded in Scripture. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. That's the church. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. That's the church. I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing. That's the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ellen White says, the church is God's fortress. His city of refuge which he holds in a revolted world, 
any betrayal of the church is treachery to him who has bought mankind with the blood of his only begotten son. Isn't that marvelous? The church is God's treasure. He's bought it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He conquered death and hell at the cross and raised up his church to live the good news and to proclaim the good news. And the church must not separate the church and the gospel. The gospel and the church are interwoven, intertwined, interconnected. Samuel J. Stone wrote in 1866, the church has one foundation. Tis Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. The Apostle Paul, like no other apostle, understood the gospel as the life blood of the church, the solid foundation of its walls. Paul realized, you look at all his, his letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, Paul realized that if the church were to get the gospel right, then the world will get it right. And if the world got it right, then our Lord will come. So he wrote in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, there was a question that lingered on in the churches. And that question is still lingering on today. It was sort of answered at the Jerusalem Council, 48 to 50 AD. But was still unanswered in the minds of many. And this is the question for the church. Are we going to continue to admit into full standing and fellowship in the church, foreigners, persons who have never belonged to the chosen people of God, who do not know the moral and ethical standards of Israel, who have not been circumcised, who do not know all the Old Testament stories and commandments? Shall we, by their repentance and confession of faith in Jesus, admit them into the fellowship? Was that enough? That was the question. It is still the question today. Is that enough? Paul is saying when you believe, you belong. And believing is open to all. The justification of guilty sinners is by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, irrespective of either status, ethnicity, or works. 
if the church were to get the gospel right, then the whole world has a great chance of getting it right. Paul continues, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then he said, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, he said, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. That's Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. That's the gospel. Faith, not works. The ground, the foundation of our salvation. A good works not important? Is the law not important? Paul says, no. Do we make void the law? Absolutely not. We establish the law. And I want you to hear that clearly. Because sometimes the gospel story gets one-sided in many ways. But I think the problem is, the confusion with the gospel is that we feel that there is merit in our good deeds. We feel our good works will recommend us to God and somehow find favor and right standing before him. And I went to a church, actually my home church in St. Vincent. And my niece's husband is having an issue with cancer in the leg. And you know what their prayer was like. God, he has done so much for the church. He has been faithful to you. He has done so much for the church. How could this happen to him? Based on all his works and good deeds, would you please heal him? Our good works recommend others to God, not ourselves. When we belong, we behave. 
When we believe, we belong, and when we belong, we behave. But all good works recommend others to God. Let your light shine, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is faith in Christ, trusting in him. All are included, says Paul and Jesus. Paul says, this gospel is for Jews, Greeks, barbarians, Romans, for us, everyone. And that's not a fad, by the way. When Jesus died, Pilate had written, Jesus, King of the Jews, in Hebrew, in Latin, in Greek. That's Luke 23, 38. He died for the world. He died for us. It is for everybody. And the church needs to speak up. Especially in today's climate, the church needs to speak up. There is a redefinition of the church. The people of God no longer according to descent, circumcision, or culture, but according to faith in Jesus. So that all believers are the true children of Abraham, regardless of their ethnic background. And that is the amazing truth of scripture that is so hard to swallow. But this I know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, we are all sinners. So today, as we celebrate, it is a matter of recommitting our lives to the mission of the church, to the gospel, the good news. Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to have under you a firm, unshakable foundation for life and eternity? Do you want peace that passes all understanding? Scripture says, trust in the one who justifies the ungodly. I love what Sir Marcus Lone wrote. He wrote, the voice that spells forgiveness will say, you may come. You have been let off the penalty which our sins deserve. But the verdict which means acceptance, that is justification, will say, you may come. You are welcome to all my love and my presence. That's marvelous. That is the good news. You may come. You are welcome to all my love and my presence. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1.6. We are accepted in the beloved. And that's the church, my brothers and sisters. That's the church. We are accepted in the beloved. Here's the verse. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We are accepted in the beloved. Almost 40, well, a little more than 43 years ago, we got married. 
And when we got married, we were here in the US, we were at Andrews University, and our parents did not make it from St. Vincent. And so we got married in New York, just my sister, few people were there. And so the time came when we were going to go back, I was going to go and visit my in-laws for the very first time after we got married. And we were there, we walked, I walked in, we walked in, and there they were to welcome us. And first thing they said, you must be hungry. It's a long trip, you must be hungry. And then they showed us to the refrigerator, they opened and there was that huge container with coconut water. Cool coconut water. We weren't there 15, 20 minutes, but the whole refrigerator was mine. <laughs> then they took us to the, to the room. They said, that's the room Helen loved. It has windows on both sides. So you can open it up and feel the beautiful breezes of the Caribbean. I was not there more than half an hour, and I had the refrigerator, and I had the best room in the house. Then they took us, showed us the car, a yellow Nissan. Datsun it was at the time. And they said, well, you know, you may want to drive around after you get some rest, some food. You may want to drive around and, and enjoy the, the place. I was not there more than an hour. I had the refrigerator, the best room, and the car. I was welcomed because of their beloved. She was a daughter. I became a son. Her possessions became my possessions. Her privileges became my privileges. I was accepted in their beloved. I belong. By God's grace, I have behaved. I don't know. You can ask Helen. My brothers and sisters and friends, when you put your trust in Christ, all that God will do for his beloved son, he will do for you. I don't know why we fuss. And why we worry so much. And why we get confused about the gospel. And why we hamper our witness. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because, because I'm involved with you. I'm involved with you in everything, in your building projects, in the school, in the worship hour, in the Sabbath school, in the prayer meeting. I'm involved. And not only that, all that my son, all the blessings are going to be yours his righteousness, all his privileges, his possessions are yours, and eventually his home. Heaven is yours. Amen. 
you belong. He says, when you believe, you belong. And when you belong, you behave. Not to appease him, but to please him. See the difference? You belong. I know. There's a crown that is waiting in yonder bright mansion for me. And soon, with the spirit made perfect, at home with the Lord, I shall be redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. When you believe, you belong to him and to his body, the church, and to his kingdom. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and against you. Praise God. Amen.